Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Thanks, Jean Marie. Good morning. My name is Dan. If you are new, been here a couple times, Jeff is normally the one that's up here. So don't judge Oak City because of me. Come back and hear Jeff. Um, we are starting a five-week series on our home groups. So if you, don't ha- if you have no idea what a home group is, hang with me. I'll explain that to you in a couple of minutes. If you know what a home group is and you're looking for one, we have some nice little cards out there. There's also a map, and on the map there's some contact cards that Tiffany put together. Uh, we're still kind of working on finalizing some locations, so this will probably be updated. But grab one. Uh, have a look at the map, see where people are located. That will help you. Um, why I'm up here, so myself and Ken Cantrell have been asked to take on the leadership of home groups. And I'm excited about that because I think home groups are awesome. I'm biased because it's had an awesome impact on my life, my wife, and my family, and then the people in our groups. It's been amazing to see their growth. So we're going to spend literally the next five weeks talking about home groups. Um, what we want to do is we're going to do what we call a sync. So if you're in a home group or you're going to check one out on a Tuesday night, we'll have, you know, you can go to the home group on a Tuesday. They're going to go through the material that we teach on Sundays. They'll dive a little bit deeper, ask some questions. And then let's say you want to check another one the following week on a Wednesday, or you can't go Tuesday, so you go a Wednesday. They're going to be teaching the same information. So it's a really great time to get plugged in, get, check them out. Um, so myself, there's a whole group of people called the home group health team that can answer questions. Just let, let me know what you have. Um, Listen, if you have been in a home group, if you're committed to a home group, I hope today and the next five weeks that we encourage you, that we motivate you, and maybe we even challenge you a bit to commit to a home group. So before I go any further, I wanted to start with prayer, and then I'll give you kind of a roadmap where we're going to go today. So God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the freedom and the life that is found only in you. God, we pray that your word, which is alive, that you speak through me, God, that you silence me and that you speak today. Holy Spirit, you're here, so we give you the honor and the praise in the name of Jesus. So, roadmaps, I think, are important. Nobody uses roadmaps anymore. You have a Google map or Google, like, on your phone, right? But I think a roadmap is important when I'm teaching. It helps you know where I'm going, but it also helps me stay focused, which is probably a good thing, so I don't ramble on. So, I'm going to hit three main points over the next three hours. All right, maybe two hours, you know, I'm just kidding. Uh, If you're new, you're like, what is this guy? Where's Jeff? Uh, It won't be that long, I promise. But three points, right? So I'm going to hit on the definition of what is a home group? What is Oak City's language for a home group? I then want to move into uh, what are the barriers? We're going to look in Acts. We're going to look at a group of people that had some barriers that overcame those barriers. And and then from that, we move to our third point is what is the result? What are the, and we're going to use that as outputs, the goals of our home group. What are the outputs that we want for our home groups. So definition, the barriers, and then the outputs. All right? That's, that's where we're going to move today. Okay? So if you are still with me, still awake, let's get to the definition. So Jeff and the elder board, they came up with this definition. We think language matters. So a home group is... Look at that. Great. Thanks, Daniel. He's, he's on it. Um, a group of people that are committed to each other's spiritual growth. So let me say that again. A group of people committed to each other's spiritual growth. Now, you may hear different aspects of that definition than I do. Um, 
I, w- I would love to hear not what you think of the definition, but how that definition, what your view of that, how that changes as we go through this series in, in the next five weeks. Love to hear how it changes over six months and even a year from now. So that's your invitation to let me know then. Not right now. Um, but I want to hear what it means. Today, I'm going to focus on the words committed and spiritual growth. That's what we're going to kind of highlight in, in today. Um, so I want to start with this. A home group, is, obviously, it's a group of people. And I think there's a lot of groups out there. I think about this every Sunday. We drive down Lake Wheeler Road. And there's this field slash park. And people are committed every Sunday to their dogs, at least. Because they bring their dogs to this park, right? I don't think they're committed to the people. They're committed to their dogs. And I don't know about their spiritual growth. But there's lots of groups out there. We think that home groups are important because, first of all, most of them meet in the house. You're like, wait, what? What kind of cult are you talking about? I promise it's a little different. When I grew up, I grew up in Sunday school. So as a kid, I went to Sunday school. As a teen, even an adult, I had churches that had Sunday school for adults. So now when I came here, I was like, wait, you meet in a home. Somebody I don't really know. I'm going to go to their house. They're going to let people in their house that they don't really know. But to me, that meeting in a house was so much more intimate. It was a familiar setting where it led to a lot more discussion of vulnerability than just a Bible study. You're like, why a home group? There's lots of names for home groups. I've heard small groups. I've heard DNA groups. I've heard cell groups. I've heard life groups. I've even heard missional communities. But Oak City, we call them home groups. So if you have, that's the name that we chose. We've had groups meet here in the church. You don't have to just meet in homes. We feel that homes are more intimate. But we've had groups that have met in the church and will probably continue to meet in the church, which is fine. With that, a home group is not a house. We host. Our home group is not our house. That's where the group meets. A home group, as I said earlier, is a group of people that are committed to each other's spiritual growth. That definition, that language, we think is very important. So you're going to probably get tired of me bringing up that definition, so that's okay. I want you to be ingrained in you. So the next five weeks, you're going to probably hear it a lot, and which is good because there will be a test in five weeks on what is the definition of a home group. Okay? Um, I want to shift into Acts. Acts chapter 16 is where we're going to be. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts 16. We're going to spend some time. We'll have it up on the screen if you don't have a Bible. I love the book Acts. I've heard it said, hey, Acts is the Acts of the Disciples. Really, it's the Acts of the Holy Spirit. It's how God used ordinary people to do some amazing things. So let me, let me give you the Dan version of the paraphrase, just so you know where we're at. So we're going to be introduced to four people. Um, they're kind of like the guys that will be traveling, and then we'll meet three main characters. So we're going to meet Paul. Paul's original name was Saul. Saul was this big-time Jewish religious leader, and he was moving up the ranks. He thought that Christianity was bad. So he was putting them in prison, beating them, and even killing Christians. And on the way to Damascus, he met Jesus. His life was changed. He believed that the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus was so real and so powerful that he gave up everything he had and became what we call a missionary. He went around, he planted churches, and then he was going around encouraging them. So where we're going to pick him up is we have Paul and we have his buddy Silas. So they are going around there encouraging churches. In, in verse 5, it says that they went and they encouraged and they helped the speak, like encourage and wisdom to those churches. And those numbers grew day by day in the churches, okay? We're going to meet Timothy real quick. So Timothy is going to be one of the four that's traveling. Timothy was the mentee that Paul mentored him, right? And he ends up becoming this big... Christian leader who Paul writes some letters in the book of Timothy to encourage him and encourage the church that he leads. 
And then you also have Luke. Luke's the physician. He's the one that's writing the book of Acts. So those are the four guys. That's the group. You can call them whatever you want. Paul's gang, right? Those are the four guys that we're going to be hearing about as they go meet some people. Um, Paul desperately wants to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit says no. So he does some more traveling, and he's like, I'll go this way. And Jesus says, no, don't go to Asia. So Paul has this dream. And I'm glad I don't dream like Paul, but Paul has this dream where a man says, hey, come to Macedonia, help us. Teach us the gospel, right? So Paul tells his gang, they're like, hey, that's it. That's got to be of God. So they hop on a ship, and they end up going to three different churches. I mean, three different cities, and this is where they end up in Philippi, which is a district of Macedonia. The cool thing about Philippi, Philippi is actually a Roman colony. What that meant is that the Romans allowed them to govern themselves. I geek out a little bit on history. So it was also named after Philip II, who ended up being the father of Alexander the Great. So there's some just cool history that ties into the Bible, right? So that's where we're at. So they go to Philippi. And we're going to pick it up in verse 13. It says this. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. All right. There's no church. There's no synagogue. Some woman praying. Probably a good place to start, but Paul is looking for churches or synagogues, at least something that's established, and there's none of that. There's just a prayer group. So now we're going to meet a first character here. And we go to verse 14. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia. She was from the city of Tyatera, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. So I want to make a couple observations real quick. So Lydia is a successful businesswoman. She sells purple. Purple is a sign of royalty, sign of wealth. So she was good at what she did. She had a big business. She's not from Philippi. She ha- she's from another city, but she has a house in Philippi. That's going to be an important factor in a little bit, right? The, the third thing that really jumped out when I was preparing and reading this is that Luke says that she was a worshiper of God. And what I love about that, it takes me to John chapter 4. And in John chapter 4, Jesus is meeting with this woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. So Jesus, being a good Jewish boy, was not supposed to talk to a Samaritan. But he engages her in a conversation, and here's what he says in verse 23. He says, But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So we see Lydia, who's desiring to worship the Father. Now, I've got to make this plug for home groups, and this could be a whole other sermon, but worship cannot only happen here on Sundays. Worship is when we're saying, God, you are good. Despite whatever the circumstances, you are good, and I'm praising you. That cannot just happen Sundays. It happens, but it has to happen in our hearts, in our souls. It has to happen daily. It should happen in our home groups. Worship, we could, again, is more than just song. So Lydia is praying, and she's worshiping. So we're off to a good start. Well, in verse 15, it talks about how she, she hears Paul give the sermon, and she reacts. She's, she gets baptized, and so does her whole family, which is awesome, right? Then you get, then at the end of verse 15, she's like, hey, you know what, guys? I got a house. Come stay there. I'm going to host you stay in my house. And I can see Silas and the rest of them like, yes, please. And Paul's like, wait, I make tents. So there's a real nice spot of grass. And she's like, no, no, no. The end of verse 15 says that she prevailed on them. So she opens up her house. So if you're Lydia, you're a successful businesswoman, if you study Acts, Paul and Silas, wherever they go, trouble follows them. They get kicked out of towns. They get, they, people try to stone them. They get beaten. They get thrown into prison. They try to kill them. So for Lydia to open her house, for Lydia to take on, 
and be associated with Christians, she knew some of the implications, some of the costs. It's a big deal for her. It could affect her business. It could affect her financially, her time. Those are all barriers to her coming to know Jesus. But she doesn't. It says that she gets baptized. So you're like, hey, this is a good start. We got Lydia. If you're thinking about starting a church or even a home group, you're like, hey, I want some Lydia's. So that's a, good, that's a good start, right? Well, there's always a twist in Acts. So let's listen. Look at this. So in verse 16, it says, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. So we go from Lydia, a successful businesswoman, to a girl that's a slave, and she's possessed by a spirit. Think about how she's been taken advantage of. People who used her for their own gain, not for hers. She doesn't have any, probably any possessions at this point because she's a slave. Verse 18 says this, And she kept doing this for many days. Not like a day or two, but many days. We don't know how long that is, but that's okay. And then Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. She gets this amazing miracle. I don't know why Paul had to wait till he got annoyed. Again, that's probably a whole other sermon, right? Paul gets annoyed and he's like, all right, fine, come out. Um, I, don't, I don't get it. But let's pause here real quick. This girl has got nothing. She's been taken advantage of. Now, I'm going to make an assumption because we don't know this, but there's a lot of other Bible scholars that are way smarter and know more about the Bible than I do. They make the assumption that Lydia takes in this girl. Lydia, who has a lot to lose, time, financially, she opens her house to take care of this girl. Now, this girl is probably needy. She's got no power, no identity. She's got nothing to her name. She's probably lonely. And if I'm that little girl, I'm probably thinking, what does Lydia want from me? What does she hope to get out of this? She's got some kind of guard. The whole loneliness is a big aspect. Because we're made to be in a relationship. We're made for that. We see that in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis, where God made Adam and Eve. And it says that they walked daily and talked. They were in communion with God. It was awesome. So one day they said, hey, you know what? We want to be God. And God said, don't eat of that fruit. And they did the one thing he told them. He said, do anything, but don't do this. They did it because they wanted to be like God. And then because of that, that relationship with God was broken. So the thing that's really great about Genesis is Genesis doesn't just tell us what happened then. It tells us what happens every single time. We break our relationship with God because we want to be God. So it's no accident that researchers and medical experts over the past couple of years have said that, hey, we are living in an epidemic of loneliness. Cigna came out a couple of years ago and said that roughly 54% of Americans say, hey, I, I'm alone. I feel lonely. Almost all the time, 54%. Last year, they just released results recently. I read them. It went up to 61% of people feel admit to being alone feeling lonely. I read a, I read a lot of articles, and, and I want to just read this one here. It says, a loneliness has been alleged 
to have the same impact on our life expectancy as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. In addition, a lack of social contact can hasten cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, heart disease, depression, and suicide. So the author of this article, she, wrote the, she went on to write this about when she first moved to New York. She said, I had some casual friendships, and I didn't feel like anyone really understood who I was. They didn't know what I was struggling with, and they weren't offering to support me in any way. I was feeling lonely, and it wasn't because I wasn't meeting enough people. It was because I was in spaces that prior, didn't prioritize deep connection. I think a lot of us can relate to that. Jeff does a really great job of letting us know there's really two big questions. We want to know, am I good and am I loved? I want to say this. I don't think home groups are solely the answer for your loneliness. If you can relate to that feeling of loneliness, they are a step in the right direction. But if you don't get anything out of today, get this. There's one thing. You and I, we are made for a relationship. Just like Adam and Eve, we were made for that relationship with God. So the problem is, we, try to, we think that relationship with people or objects or work or passions or food or sex or money, they're going to satisfy us. I can tell you in my hard-headed, stubborn ways, I've found that the only thing that ever satisfies is Jesus. So if you don't get anything out of this, get that Jesus is the only one that will ever satisfy what you're looking for. As long as we put the resume of Jesus, we put it on those things and people, we're always going to be let down. So, back in the Acts here. We have Lydia. Cost her her time, her money, maybe her social status, maybe some business by being a Christian. We have this girl who doesn't trust. Anyway, she's been used and abused throughout her life, but they commit to one another. So I'm going to do a little more paraphrasing. So what happens, the owners of this girl, are, they're upset. So they grab Paul and Silas, they take him to the marketplace, and they start a riot. And they take rods, and they beat Paul and Silas, and they're like, well, we can't just leave him here. So they throw him in prison. So we're going to meet our third person here. They tell this jailer, hey, don't just put him in a prison. Put him in an inner prison and lock their feet. Like, hey, they're, they're a high threat. So... This jailer is, our, is the third person in this group that's going to be formed, right? He, from a lot of historians say, he was probably a Roman soldier, a former soldier, which means he had seen a lot of tough things. He runs a tight ship, right? He follows orders well, but he had seen a lot of things. One, one commentator said that he had probably known blood, and I like that language. He had known blood. So you're Paul, and you're Silas, and you're saying, Paul, you could have just controlled your temper, She'd done it for so long. Why do you have to bring up that, right? Or are you sure, Paul, that dream? Are we sure we should be here, not somewhere else? Are you sure that was from God? But we don't see that. Let's pick it up in verse 25. It says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. These guys were just beaten. They're cold. They're hungry. They're sore. They're locked in prison, and they are praying and worshiping. And people are noticing. The jailer's going to notice it. The prisoners are going to notice it. It's a big deal. I, I wish I could say, yeah, I would do that. I would love to, but I know my, myself. I would not be questioning, God, where are you? How is this good? But Paul and Silas are saying, God, you are good. In the middle of this storm, you are good. So now God's got to show up and do a little bit of work. And this is, this is where it gets fun. 
And this is that radical stuff that you see in the book of Acts. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. This is not like a tremor. The walls didn't shake. This is a big deal. Great earthquake so that the foundations of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's bonds were fastened. Read on with me. When the jailer woke and saw the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing the prisoner had escaped. I don't know about you, but that's a pretty hard job when an earthquake that opens doors breaks like the chains and lets them the prisoners get out, and you're like, that's it. Uh, not only do I quit, I'm quitting everything, right? That's a pretty hard job. And Paul, and I don't know how Paul does this because you'll see in a second, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself, for we're all here. And the jailer called for lights. So somehow Paul knew that this jailer was going to kill himself. But again, we see God moving here. So the, the jailer runs in, he trembling with fear, he fell down before Silas, and he says to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? This wasn't just because he saw an earthquake and was like, hey, that must be God. He saw Paul and Silas praising and worshiping God in prison. After they're beaten, it was such a testimony, he fell and says, what do I have to do to be saved? Here's the response. And they say, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And it goes on, they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, and he washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and his family. And he brought them, Paul and Silas, into his house. And he set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So now we have our third Christian in an area that all they had was a prayer by the river. You have Lydia, you have a girl that was a slave girl, and now you have a jailer. It's a pretty odd group, right? <laughs> if you're picking your first church or even a home group, you're like, ah, yeah, I'll take a Lydia, I'll take that girl that was a slave, and I'll take that jailer. He's pretty rough around the edges, but we, we like him. But that's what happened. Um, and I started thinking, like, what are his barriers, right? He could be associated with them. He's a jailer. He's got a lot of authority. People can look down on him, like, what are you doing with those Christians? But then it hit me. And it hit me. What his barrier was is my barrier. See, we host home group on Tuesday nights. And there are times that I'm like, man, it's Tuesday. Can we just cancel? Do I really want to have people come to my house? I mean, I, I got a lesson somewhat prepared to teach, but do I really want, what am I going to get out of tonight? See, that jailer could have said, hey, yeah, there's two women. They're okay. What am I going to get out of it? He doesn't say that. But I think one of the big barriers for us not committing is this, is we don't commit to a group of people unless we can guarantee that we're going to get something out of it. We sit there and we say, what are the pros and cons? What am I going to get out of it? I can tell you, though, those nights where I have those thoughts and my wife points me back, like, hey, this is why we do it. Those are the nights that people in our home group show up and they have stuff going on in their life that's deep. Or they need prayer. Or they speak into me and I'm like, this is why we do this. This is why we commit to one another for their spiritual growth. It's not about what I can get out of it. And I say that all the time to my group, and I don't think they need me to say it to them. My group doesn't need me to say, hey, Dan, it's not about what they, put it, like what they get out of it. It's what they put into it. I need it. That's for me to say, hey, Dan, it's what I put into it, not about what I get out of it. That's why I commit to those people, to their growth. 
I think about these people in Acts and how amazing the story is that how God took three broken people that had nothing in common but the fact that they believed that Jesus, the life, the death, and resurrection was the most powerful thing that would satisfy them. So they come together. And I think that is a great example of what our home groups are. So let me give you some statements that I think will kind of help tidy up what we want out of our home groups. The first one is this. A home group is a group of people. It's not just a Bible study, nor is it only a hangout. Now, I think this is really important because if you look back in Acts, we see Lydia was praying, and she wanted to be a worshiper of God. Paul prays over the girl, and the Spirit leaves her, so there's praying. The jailer sees Paul and Silas praying and worshiping. Home groups cannot just be a time of Bible study and not just a hangout. They need to have fellowship, which is that hangout. There needs to be teaching. There also needs to be time of prayer and worship. Now, you may not fit all that in the one night, but you have the opportunity through the rhythm of your home group to do that together. The next one really kind of hits home because I look around and we all come from different backgrounds. There's a map out there that shows you where a lot of the home groups are located. We have another map that shows you where we ask people to put their addresses, and we are all over, like not even just Wake County, we're all over the state. So this one's going to, I think you guys will hit home with this one. A home group requires a level of equipment that will vary based on the demographics and the life stage of the people in the group. And I think that's somewhat straightforward. So I think about when I was a single guy, my time meant nothing. I poured my time and my money into whatever I wanted, whatever I was following, whatever thing it was or person, right? didn't matter. And then I grew up and I got married. And then I'm still learning that it's not my time, it's our time. Still learning in there. My wife is probably shaking her head. Um, I won't make eye contact now just in case. Um, and then you fast forward to where we are. We have three amazing, beautiful kids. And there is no such thing as time. If you don't believe me, come to my house and try to use the bathroom. See how long it takes before the kids are like, their fingers are coming on the door, they're screaming, or they're bringing toys, or they're sitting there talking, right? There's no such thing as time anymore. So I say that to say, hey, it's important. This is not an excuse to not commit. My kids are not my excuse. Where I live is not an excuse. But knowing where my home group, where the people that I'm committing to, where they're at, whether it's kids, whether it's they're, they're single, or whatever, whatever stage of life they're at, it's important that we know that. Just think about the three people in Acts. Successful businesswoman, a former slave girl that's freed, and a jailer. Their time, their, where they're at, their commitment's going to look a bit different, right? The girl is really needy probably in the beginning. And as she's growing, as she grows in her walk with Jesus, she starts to give back more, right? The last statement is probably the most important. A home group member is concerned and committed to people becoming more mature in their relationship with Jesus. Groups, our home groups, are open to folks who are not yet followers of Jesus, But implicit in this vision is the idea that we're either growing towards Jesus or in Christ Jesus. Really important that we know that people are not already following Jesus, but we should be growing in our walk either towards him or with him. Think about Acts, right? Those people, they were all brand new to faith. All brand new to Jesus. They were babies. 
without that core group, they're going to try to do this on their own. They could potentially grow on their own, but it would be a lot harder. I think about my kids, right? Let me bring my kids back into this. We have this awesome little board. That, you know, they mark their height, right? And they, they're so excited. Dad, how much did I grow? Oh, look, at, look where I'm at, right? What do we tell our kids when they grow? You must have eaten your veggies, right? I don't want to knock if you're a vegetarian or anything, but do we really know it's the veggies that cause our kids to grow? Right? We don't know that. We say that. So in a way, we're kind of like manipulating them. So I say that to say, listen, we don't know for sure that home groups are the best way to grow. But we do know that you growing by yourself is going to be a lot harder process. And you're like, wait, you're knocking home groups. No, no. I want us to know clear that right now we believe that home groups are the best way, the best form, the best vehicle to help us grow. Because it's a group of people that are committed to each other's spiritual growth. So that growth chart that we have for my kids, we haven't really had something like that for our home groups. So what we want to do is we, we came up with four outputs. You can call them goals. That's what we want to kind of use to measure our home groups. And here's the four things. Number one, grow in your understanding of the Bible. Understand the gospel story and, and our need for Jesus. That's our first goal, our first output that we want for our home groups. Our second is to be more like Jesus. Do the choices we make, do they reflect our trust in Jesus? Third one is pursue Christian community. Listen, there's lots of groups out there that you can pursue, commit to. But when we pursue Christian community, we want people to be known and cared for. To be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And the fourth point is this, is make disciples. Do we care for the people that God's put in our life? Do we share the gospel with them? Do we have those conversations? So with those four outputs, and you can see that in, the, in Acts, right? All of them, they had to grow in their understanding. There wasn't really a Bible. So they, had underst- they grew in their understanding of who Jesus was. They had to become more like Christ, right? Be more like Jesus in how they did with their time, what they gave, how they shared their life with people, how they pursued community. Regardless of what it cost them, they overcame those barriers to commit to that group. And the fourth thing is they make disciples. So those are the four outputs. What we are going to do from, from this series, this sync series, we're going to dive deeper in each one of the next four weeks. So each one of those will be a sermon. And here's the great thing. The Acts chapter 16, that's the church of Philippi. We are going to pull those from Philippians. The book of Philippians is Paul. Later he writes to that church and he's encouraging them. So we're going to see that come full circle. And I think so often we expect big things. We want to see big, radical things in us and through us. So I want us to turn quickly to Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, um, Peter and the, and the disciples, they just got the Holy Spirit. So they do this, they give a great sermon, and it says roughly 3,000 people come to know Jesus. But here's what I love about this. I want us to focus on this group part here. So it says this in verse 42, And they devoted... So they committed themselves. And here's the aspects of the home group we're about to see. Ready? To the apostles' teaching. So they had study. To the fellowship. So there's your hangout. To the breaking of bread. There's even communion, which we'll do today at the end of the service, by the way. And, and prayers. So you see teaching and fellowship, breaking of bread, prayers, and there's probably worship. They're doing it. 
And look at the result. It says, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. They didn't let the barriers of time, of finances, of what they could get out of it, they were all in. And that's radical. That's awesome. I think we want that. And here's what really jumped out to me in a way that's never jumped out to me. God calls us to do the mundane, the small little things, to be faithful in those. And here's what it says in verse 46. And day by day. Mundane daily things are day by day. But day by day they attended the temple together and they broke, breaking breads in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. So often I want to see some radical stuff like, man, as totally God, I want to see earthquakes happen. But sometimes God's like, hey, be faithful in the small. So if a barrier for us is, like, well, I'm not seeing anything, it says to be faithful in the day by day. And here's what, here's what I love about this. And it, again, this has never popped out until like this past week. It says this. It says that they were praising God, so they're worshiping and having favor for all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day. They're faithful in the small the day by day. And God grew their number to those who were being saved day by day. They are faithful in the small, in the ordinary, the mundane, and God did the radical. We don't have to do the radical. God will do it for us. I want to close with these two things. I think when we look at that book of Acts, in Acts chapter 16, a lot of us can relate to one of those characters. Whether it's Lydia who's been successful and was once to know God, but she's known, her with, known him with her head and not her heart. Or you get the girl that was slaved and possessed. Maybe you've been taken advantage of and abused. People have used you for their own gain and not yours. Or maybe you're the jailer who's seen some tough stuff. Maybe you've seen blood. If that's you and you don't know who Jesus is, if you know him with your head but not your heart, I would love today to invite you to the one that loves you, that will always love you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is the relationship that we're made for is with Jesus. If you don't know Jesus personally, if today is the day that he is calling you, because he will call you by name, if he is calling you, I'd love to pray with you, I'd love to talk to you. We have other people that will talk to you. Maybe like, hey, that's intimidating. I'm going to talk to Dan. Share with the person next to you that, hey, Jesus is calling me today. If Oak City is your church, if you are a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be committed, to know where you're at with your, your time, what stage of life you are, to know that it's going to cost you something, but that reward, that cost is so much more, the reward is so much more than that cost. What, you, the, what you're going to get out of that committing to someone else's spiritual growth is you're going to grow as well. You know, it's funny, I was reading this morning on the, before, it was Matthew 18, part of the New Testament, and in Matthew 18 it says this, it says that where two or three are gathered, Jesus says in his words, there I am also. So if you haven't committed to a home group, if you haven't been part of a home group, because you can think of a list of stuff that I haven't covered, of some barriers, like, well, it's going to cost me this, or I don't have to, whatever it is. Know that the reason we meet, why we think home groups are the best vehicle, is because Jesus is there. The band's going to come back up in a minute.
we're going to, if you're a follower of Jesus, we're going to invite you to take communion. Uh, communion is such an important part where we're, we're taking the body of Christ and, and the blood and remembering what he's done on our behalf. As we dive in the next couple of weeks, we're looking at the book, book of Philippians. That wouldn't have come to tuition if those people said, hey, what am I going to get out of this? What's in it for me? All three of them said, hey, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus is the most important thing in our lives. And they were all in. Man, how radical would it be if we are all in? That is where I want to challenge you and encourage you to commit to a group of people and their spiritual growth. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the examples. We thank you for your son who was all in, who took my sin, who took my shame, my guilt, and he took your anger, your wrath, and he took it all on a cross. And Jesus, I thank you that you buried my guilt and my sin and my shame and our guilt and our sin and our shame, and it's left in a tomb, but you're not in that tomb because you're risen. So Jesus, we just pray as Oak City, as a church, as we commit to one another, to, the, to each other's spiritual growth, that God, that we'll see you work in us and through us. And that God, we'll see some radical, amazing things for your glory, not for ours. Jesus, we love you because you loved us first. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.